I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, June 6th, 2011. This is one of those programs where you could conceivably experience frustrative disbelief brain explosion. truth is, there's actually a theme for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. See if you can figure out what the theme is. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and as a result of it, well, we've got to do the work of a Berean. Compare what people are saying to what God's Word clearly teaches. And over and again, we find that there's a whole bunch of people running around the landscape saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, we shouldn't be embracing the crazy stuff. We should not be allowing the people teaching the crazy stuff into our churches, reading their books, uh, during our Bible studies, things like that. In fact, one of the things I always found kind of weird is uh, for, oh, I, talking to uh, evangelicals from time to time. Uh, one of the things I run across is is that you know all, uh, some, someone in the evangelical movement say, "Oh yeah, my small group study. We're uh, we have a great Bible study going on this month. Really, what do you what book of the Bible are you studying? Oh, oh no, we're not studying a book of of the Bible. We're we're studying." Uh, the latest book by X, Y, or Z author. It's like, uh, wh- what? <laughs> uh, how how could you say you're uh, doing a, a Bible study if, like, you're reading, you know, let's say Bill Hybels' Walk Across the Room or, you know, some tome by, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Stephen Furtick or something like that? That's not a Bible study. That's uh, that's something completely different. Uh, so, you know, just weird things that go on nowadays and. It's like we we are suffering from a rash of bad Bible hermeneutics, a really, 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 really bad rash of Bible hermeneutics, and as a result of it, you know that that's one of the reasons why we're getting so many of the crazy things that are going on 
in the church today that we review on a regular basis, and this is the program that does the politically incorrect thing. We not only look at the teaching, we actually let you hear the teacher himself or herself actually teach it. So that, uh, and then we correct it and and say, no, that's not what the Bible says. And then people send me emails and go, you're mean. And, uh, <clears throat> no, actually, I love you too much to let you uh, keep embracing your false doctrine. All right, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Before I do that, you know, my <laughs> I am in the process of uh, making all of the T-shirts that uh, all of the, t- you know, for the month of June, uh, though, uh, we are holding a T-shirt bake sale. And the goal of the T-shirt bake sale is to raise the funds necessary to make it so that we can meet budget in the month of June. So if uh, if you want to uh, purchase a limited edition T-shirt actually designed and silkscreened by me, <laughs> visit com forward slash bake sale. I've got, I've got T-shirts all over <laughs> the house. I, <laughs> I'm making them on my Udo, and I... And so, anyway, there are there's long story. Anyway, so thank you for those of you who have uh, who have purchased your limited edition uh, uh, T-shirt, designed and silk screened by me and signed by me. Uh, yeah, those will be going out shortly. Just want to let you all know. All right, what we're gonna do today? We got email. Um, let's see here. I, my thoughts are like running all over the table again we have email today i want to read two emails that have come in um uh both regarding robert morris and uh uh we've i've recently reviewed two of robert morris's quote sermons that he delivered at perry noble's uh, church new spring out there in anderson uh, south carolina and uh, basically i've come to the conclusion robert morris is a scam artist that uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he graduated from the King and the Duke Seminary. And if you're not sure what I'm referring to, go and read the book um, Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. And this guy just totally plays fast and loose with the biblical text to make assertions that just are—you cannot defend biblically. And any good, solid hermeneutic, uh, somebody who reads the Bible using the historical grammatical method, cannot come to the conclusions— that uh, Robert Morris has come to. In fact, he's kind of like uh, one of the few people in the whole planet in the entire history of the church who's ever made such claims. Uh, one of the claims being that um, your money, when you earn your money, well, it's cursed. Yeah, it's cursed until you redeem it. And the only way that you can redeem it, it it's not just that you have to tithe. <laughs> no. The way you have to redeem it is you have to tithe the very first 10% of your money. Um you know that that comes into your account you ha- you have to tie that very specific first 10% otherwise your your money remains under a curse and uh, and so it, it, you don't want your money to be cursed now do you uh you, well then you better redeem it and uh, make your check payable to New Spring Church in Anderson South Carolina you might as well just make it payable to Perry Noble and i'm sure Robert Morse got a um commission and maybe a percentage of all of the tithe money coming in you know to help raise the operating expenses out there in Anderson and I've been receiving emails from uh, folks basically telling me that uh, Robert Morris has made the rounds um he's also preached at lifechurch.tv that's Craig Rochelle's uh congregation out there in Oklahoma and uh it's it's interesting to get the emails that I'm getting on this one so I got two emails that I want to read regarding 
Robert Morris, and then we're going to uh, do a Herald Camping update. And, and this one's a little bit different. Uh, we I've got a an, uh, an ex, a, a Herald Camping ex follower who has done an interview with um, the Christian Post, and very interesting insight. And then uh, we'll, that'll probably take us to the first break. And then after the first break. Uh, well, we've um, we've got a, a gal that I, I I don't know if we've we if I've actually ever spent any time reviewing her stuff, but she's one of the um, the XP Media uh, channel partners. That's Extreme Prophetic. That would be she's part of the Patricia King gang, and her name is uh, Angela Grenig. And I've got two things we're going to be looking at from her. One is uh, is a conference that well you all have missed it, but. The, uh, the commercial for it's still online, and it's called Daughters of Lightning. Now, you all remember Lisa Bevere's recent uh, conference speech where she talked about Lioness Arising. Well, uh, Angela Grenick has got one up on uh, Lisa Bevere. I mean, she, she, why do you want to be a lioness when you can be a daughter of lightning? Sounds shocking, doesn't it? <laughs> Pun intended. And then uh, so uh, we're going to listen to her little infomercial for her Daughters of Lightning one-day conference speech, and then we're going to see how she handles God's Word when we... Uh, Listen to her teaching regarding, quote, crossing over uh, from Angela Grenick Ministries. And um, and that'll probably take us through the end of the first hour. And then hour number two, we have, oh, man. I, um, at hour number two, we're going to be doing sermon review from Elevate Life Church. And um, the name of the sermon is The Eleven Beatitudes of the Becomer. The, the 11 Beatitudes of the Becomer, and uh, the, the the best way I can describe this sermon, um, the, by the way, the pastor there, his name is Keith Kraft, and this particular sermon, Keith Kraft, who is is new to the whole tele-evangelist thing, he's a up-and-coming uh, tele-evangelist star, and um, um, yeah, the, the best way I can put it is, is it, it's, it really truly sounds like this guy has been to the William Tapley School of uh, Biblical Hermeneutics. And uh, and so, yeah, you have you have got to hear it to believe it. That's all I can say. And uh, those of you who are my friends on Facebook uh, saw that this morning uh, uh, that uh, I was obviously spending some time in Farmville. Yeah, that was to keep my me from sticking my head through my keyboard or pounding it through the keyboard uh, while I was uh, reviewing Keith Kraft's sermon in preparation for today's program. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Today is definitely one of those days where um, tinfoil pyramid hat, uh, duct tape, bendy straws, anything that you can do to protect yourself. This particular edition of Fighting for the Faith, like I've said, um, is uh, definitely, uh, well, has extreme, this is an extreme danger program. That's the best way I can put it. You could definitely... Uh, hurt yourself listening to today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. So I, I feel it behooves me to play our warning. warning. Fighting for the Faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. All right, you've been warned. It's 
all I can say. Now, I'll ease you into the program today with a, with a little bit of email that uh, should create a false sense of security. All right, first email uh, comes to me via one of my uh, listeners who is a friend of mine on Facebook. His name is Morkel, and he is from South Africa. Morkel writes, he says, Hi, Chris, I hope you and your family are doing well. We are. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. He says, I was just listening to your podcast regarding the tithe. This would be Robert Morris's sermons. And I wanted to make a short comment, which you didn't seem to bring up. And maybe it's because we get paid differently here in our neck of the woods. And now, actually, Morkel, I want, want to point something out here. Um, what you describe in this email is actually the same procedure that occurs here in the United States. Now, I cannot speak with any uh, definitiveness as to whether or not this occurs also in other parts of the world, but I would suspect that this is a common practice in most Western uh, nations. But uh, let me continue reading. He said, Mark Rice, he says, Firstly, I applaud you for exposing this and for emphasizing the new covenant principles uh, around giving. Here in South Africa, church leadership tends to ostracize people who don't adhere to mosaic law-driven tithing, yet they don't really apply all the principles around it given in the word. Yeah, I, I, know, I find it interesting that those who really are legalistic regarding tithing, um, you know, well, they don't celebrate the Feast of Booths, um, the, the New Moon celebrations. Um, no, they don't do that. Um, and they eat pork. It's weird, you know, it's how they can just zero in on the money aspect. Anyway, he says, well, if Robert Morris's principles of the giving of giving are the literal first of your money, if that's true then I, along with many I know, are in deep kimchi since all of our funds will be cursed. You see, we get paid at the end of the month, and our employer already deducts taxes, medical aid contributions, and other company-scheduled contributions from our gross pay before it even reaches our bank accounts. Thus, it is literally impossible for us to give the real first if we are going to give. And, and this will be true of for thousands, even millions around the world. So, it could, in fact, it could even be billions. I'm, I'm, I'm serious, Morkel. You, you brought up a great point. Um, and so he, uh, what uh, Robert Morris is basically saying is that we should go and work for another employer who won't deduct anything from our salaries, thus having no company benefits, you know, just saying. Anyhow, that's just my two cents. God's blessings, Morkel from South Africa. Morkel, you know, you, you make a great point. And um, I mean, here Robert Morris is, you know, if you remember that sermon regarding the principle of the first, you know, the first fruits and all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, he basically assured everybody. I mean, it was very kind of Robert Morris to do so, too. He assured everybody that uh, you know, that uh, if they didn't know about the principle of the first and they weren't giving the first 10% uh, of their money, that, um, that that was okay because they didn't know. But now that they know, well, they're obligated to do so. But the reality is, is that, you know, uh, I didn't see any... Um, I did not see any exceptions in the scripture that Robert Morris pointed out that would say that it's okay for your employer to pay your taxes first. I mean, wouldn't that be making your particular government, you know, whether it's South Africa, Australia, the United States, New Zealand, Great Britain, Germany, uh, the, you know, the, the 
you know, any of those countries, wouldn't that mean that you know, in reality they're first and not God? And so there is no way for anybody living in a Western uh, country that where taxes and um, health care benefits and other things, those contributions are deducted prior to the money hitting your account. All of those things are paid first. So in other words, um, there is no way for you to ever have your funds be released from the curse that Robert Morris claims is there in the scripture. Great point, Morkel. Now, I got a, a uh, another email from a gentleman by the name of Andy, and I'm assuming that Andy lives um, in, in the Dallas, Texas area, but he actually says that in his uh, in his uh, email. But Andy is from the Dallas, Texas area, and he writes, he says, My name is Andrew, and I just got done listening to the podcast, Should Christians Tithe? With the sermon review with Bobby Morris, I actually used to go to Gateway Church. But Gateway Church, by the way, is the church where Bobby Morris is the uh, head pastor. He says, I went there for quite a few years, involved in multiple ministries there, giving where I could in time, talents, and of course, well, funds. That would be money. And I've heard these exact sermons many times, including recently reviewed multiplication scams uh, ones as well. I give him one thing. This is Bobby. He's consistent with what he preaches. But I will testify firsthand that the multiplication and the first principles he preaches don't work. They are bogus. When I was there, I followed these teachings to the T. I got the book, The Blessed Life, and I kept the teaching CD in my car. I applied it with all the gusto and the faith that I had. If a need was to be met, I met it. If they were trying to raise money for a new building or a missions project, I always gave beyond my mandatory first-fruited 10%. But after everything was said and done, I never saw multiplication and was still broke, and I also felt spiritually bankrupt on top of that. You could say I hit a spiritual recession." After a while, I really started to get upset toward God, not seeing my bank account multiply or seeing myself as someone uh, who was a spiritual giant with faith just shooting out of me like rainbows. I would get legitimately mad at God. Side story. Once I got so mad about everything, I started hitting my steering wheel in my car. Now, I don't recommend this, by the way. This is not a good thing to do. He says, I pounded it so hard I ended up breaking the car horn in the steering column and it wouldn't turn off. I was in the parking lot with my car horn having what seemed to be tornado siren tryouts. And I remember just thinking, great, just another thing I can't afford that I have to fix. Thanks, God. Now, back to the story. All of this frustration and anger led me to uh, led me to decide to leave the church. It wasn't working, not for me anyway. Gateway is in the heart of South Lake, one of the richest suburbs in Texas. People all around me were very wealthy, so by comparison, I never had a shot to amount to the faith being displayed weekly. Faithfulness and the blessings of God look like a Range Rover pulling in the church parking lot, and here I am sporting a Hyundai Elettra with a broken horn. I'm obviously not doing enough for God, is what I thought. I felt as if God didn't care. I didn't have enough faith to amount to nothing. I just wrote God off. Now, I have to admit, I didn't care to set another foot in church for as long as I live, but after some time, all I can say is that it was God who was drawing me back to himself. See John chapter 6, verse 44. So when I heard you reviewing a Robert Morris sermon, I was all too anxious to hear what you had to say on this. Unfortunately, I thought you were spot on. <laughs> yeah, that's an unfortunate thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, if a, a Roseboro a sermon review, if it's spot on, that's not a good thing. Anyway, um, unfortunately, I, I thought you were spot on in your review. I, I say unfortunately because these are people that I know. I did life with these people for years and still know a few of them. Some of them are the nicest caring people I've ever met and I care about. For the God I knew then was an entirely different God than the one I know today. I can't say it's even the same Christ that we worshipped. Even though we're preaching out of the same Bible, it's a completely different book today than it than it was back then. I would hope and pray that they would know Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. I'm truly grateful to God for what you're doing there at Fighting for the Faith and hope that you can keep doing it. And may God bless and keep you. Sincerely, Andrew. Andrew, thank you very much. But, you, you, you know, you make a few really good points, and I want to highlight them. Number one... The anger that you felt is actually understandable because the God that was presented to you was a God who was basically sitting up in heaven with his arms folded waiting for you to do particular things, to jump through particular hoops before he could lift a finger to to do anything to help you. And this whole multiplication first principle thing is nothing more than a scam. What Robert Morris was doing and is doing is uh, breaking that commandment that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He invented his own doctrines, his own scam, his own way of raising money and blaming it on God. And so when you found out that your life wasn't being multiplied, your finances weren't being multiplied, and the reason why they weren't being multiplied is because the Bible doesn't promise any such thing. Okay, The Bible doesn't promise any of that. What God does promise you this side of his return is that your sins are forgiven, that you have a right standing before him because of his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Does this mean that we Christians are going to have our finances multiplied? No. In fact, the thing that Jesus promised us is that we would experience suffering and persecution. If you want to know what the Christian life really truly looks like, look at the beatings and the scourges and the whips and the persecution that the Apostle Paul experienced as a result of proclaiming the true gospel. Unfortunately, the people that you know and love and did life with down there at um, at, at um, Gateway Church, they are not being told the truth about God. And as a result of it, they are in danger of the fires of hell. That's how serious this is. And so I will pray for you, Andrew, that the people that you still know that go to Gateway Church and are under the false teaching of Robert Morris, that God would give you opportunities to lovingly correct them and point them true to the biblical Jesus, the true Jesus, the one who doesn't say he's going to multiply your finances, but the one who says is that he's going to forgive your sins. The one who we pray to daily, give us this day our daily bread. When we ask God to take care of our needs, many times in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray daily, we're just asking for God to give us the next day's worth of what we need. And we are not to count ourselves as poor or poverty-stricken. For we know now, as a result of what Christ has done for us, the fact that we've been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of our sins, 
that our true citizenship is not in the United States, it's not in South Africa, it's not even in Texas or Australia or Great Britain, but our true citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God comes to earth, when Christ returns and renews and regenerates the earth itself. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. When when Christ returns and all things are made new and the kingdom of God is with men, the streets, the streets will be paved with gold. Flipping everything up on its side, on its head. Think about it. Streets paved with gold. The last time I checked, street pavers, the bricks, they're not worth much. Pennies on the dollar. But that kind of shows you the economy of heaven, doesn't it? The things that we hold so near and dear that we think are so important here on in this world, in this economy, money, fame, wealth, fortune, things like that, gold and jewels and big bank accounts and stuff like that, it all gets reduced down to street pavers in the new kingdom. And mm, makes you wonder if horses in the new earth will be like horses are today so that there will be heavenly street sweepers cleaning up after the horses after they've relieved themselves on the streets of gold. Anyway, worth passing along. Thank you for your email. All right, what we're going to do real quick here before we go to the break. Um yes, I'm going to do I'm going to run a little bit long in this first segment and then and then we'll go to our break. Um the um I've got a Herald Camping update. And what that requires me to do is to play our Herald Camping update music. And, and if you remember, I have I've I've selected for my Herald Camping update music um uh, Larry Norman's song, um, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And um, and I found the DC Talk version of it. But the weird thing about this song, strange thing about this song, it, it's surreal. I mean, it's it's got these really pleasant and, you know, you know easy listening praise songish kind of melodies. And it's talking about death and destruction. And so what I've decided to do uh, while playing the, um, the I Wish We'd All Been Ready music for the uh, Herald Camping update that I'll, I'll go ahead and put in the, um, the the rather than having us listen to this softly and lightly, I'm going to add the sound effects that, that I think really truly go along with this song. So um, here we go. Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd Sleep 
All right. That was too much fun. <laughs> May have got a little too long. <laughs> but yeah, again, it's just the surreal song. I mean, here you got these dulcet tones. Wish we'd all be. Yeah, it's talking about death and destruction and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, um, so <laughs> I feel I feel much better, much much better. Anyway, um, a former follower of Harold Camping has uh, done an interview with the Christian Post, and uh, the name of the article is Harold Camping ex follower speaks out. And this is by Josephine Vilvaldo, a Christian Post contributor. And here's what she writes. A former Harold Camping student who abandoned campingism shared with the Christian Post what the 89-year-old broadcaster was like before he began prophesying about the end of the world and what ex-followers think of him now. Pastor Trevor Hammock from Victory Baptist Church in Avalo, Texas, spoke with the Christian Post on Tuesday, retracing his journey from the beginning when he was attracted to family radio to the end when he chose to leave after he saw Camping's first doomsday prediction fail. It never occurred to the 42-year-old pastor that Camping would move away from the very thing that drew him to his teachings, Orthodox Historical Christianity. When he was getting ready to go on to his first base in the military, he hoped to find a Christian sponsor to help him settle in the new town in Nebraska. His prayer was answered. The family that had taken him in was not only Christian, but they also showed devotion to their faith by listening to a radio station that had conservative music, Bible readings, and Bible teachings that were very in-depth. Quote, so that attracted me to them and then started from the 1990s. Early on, I contacted Family ready to join their school of the Bible. I became a student, and I was part of that school up until 1994 and the prediction that did not come to pass. And so that's why I was drawn to family radio, and I made contact with them, he shared. He stopped attending their school a few years later, but continued to listen following the development of Camping's doctrine and theology, and received books in which Camping, president of family radio, predicted that the world would end in 2011. Quote, I was very aware of the 2011 date, which kind of made all of the media go crazy about it. Something interesting is that he's been talking about 2011 since 1992. According to Hammock, before any end-of-the-world prediction theology, Camping was very appealing in the sense that he would go in-depth, verse by verse, through the uh, books in the Bible, not in any shallow or irreverent manner, and would always stick uh, stick to the Bible and treated it as the final authority. But everything began to change in subtle ways and gradually when camping began to develop a hermeneutic or a principle, a Bible interpretation based on Mark 4, where it says that Jesus spoke in parables. Quote, camping took that to mean that everything in your Bible is a parable. Everything. For example, So when Jesus gets on a boat to cross the sea, well, the sea represents one thing. The boat represents something else. People in the boat represent something. And so he began to use this to interpret the Bible, Hammock illustrated. Once you go in that direction, everything is open for anybody to interpret it in the way that they want. And he left out any type of historical context, and it just becomes a spiritual parable which he can kind of mold into what he thinks it says, and that's what happened. 
While Camping still stressed the Bible was a historical account, he also stressed that there was a spiritual principle behind its history and eventually started to focus on the end of the world. It was shocking the first time I heard him predict that the world would come to an end in 1994 because it seemed out of character for him from what you heard or studied in the school, said Hammock. There were mixed emotions among his students, he recalled. Some stuck by camping. After all, everything he had taught them before had been Bible-based. But some students thought the whole idea was simply crazy. Some would sort out a start, uh, would sort of start buying into the whole the Bible is a parable uh, cut, cut mentality, and others were like, oh, this is crazy. I'm getting away from this. It it was pretty much divided into how people were going to handle the situation. When Camping's book, 1994, question mark, appeared, it was the question mark that Camping used as a sort of safety net. After all, if the end of the world didn't come that year, then his followers would be more forgiving, Hammock noted, and they were. But after that year, that's when Camping's teaching took a dramatic turn. When he wrote the book, The End of the Church Age, and began to teach that Satan was now in control of all the local congregations, that's when people realized his move away from Orthodox historical Christianity and toward his own interpretation of the scriptures, the Volo pastor, pastor recounted. Quote, people at Family Radio started leaving. Everything fell apart, and lots of people left the ministry and left everything associated with that. Some of them were very bothered and discouraged and upset with themselves and felt that there were very few voices warning them about the teaching of camping, said Hammock, and everyone was just kind of ignoring this ministry that is worth millions upon millions of dollars that has radio stations everywhere, but no one was saying anything about it. Hammock continued his studies outside the family radio school and went to various seminaries. In 2009, he started a program, News in Focus, on Sermon Audio, where he looks at what's happening in the world from a biblical perspective. He focuses on biblical errors found in books such as the Da Vinci Code, as well as Camping's Theology. It was during the program when he began getting emails from Camping's followers describing their disappointment over something they not only believed in, but invested in. While none of the people that have contacted him reported abandoning their faith or renouncing Christianity, they were very confused and upset at themselves for not being able to see the other side of the Bible because all they were listening to was camping. Quote, they wish they could have seen the other side. If there's no other material out there, you are only listening to one person, and it's easy to think that they are right. So... They were a little bothered by that and wished people were trying to tell them, especially those who I talked to who are followers all the way up to the May 21st date. Some of them felt absolutely confused, not knowing what happened. They had given money. Hammock doesn't know exactly how much money people had given. They only spoke of of thousands but didn't give any specifics. So they felt that they were giving their money to something that the Bible really taught, and then they were confused. So most of them, when I told them that he had used Mark 4 about turning everything into a parable, for some of them they began to realize, well, that's true, and I never thought about that, and was thankful to hear that maybe they had been mishandling the Scripture. The whole situation can only be used as a great opportunity for the church to take responsibility and equip people to handle Scriptures correctly he highlighted. Biblical illiteracy is the womb in which deception is conceived. The church today is very illiterate when it comes to church history, and when it comes to the Bible, most Christians don't really know how to handle it. He continued, hopefully people will stop and say, man, if all those followers of camping got so confused, maybe we should relook how, A, as a pastor, I am equipping my people, and B, 
as a church member, how well do I know the Bible and how well do I know how to study and interpret it? There are still people who believe in camping and whose second failed prophecy that the rapture will occur on uh, May 21st, 2011 did not detour them from his teachings. Hammock believes that this has much to do with the people's inability and refusal to accept that they have invested in false theology. Quote, I really have a burden for those people not to mock them, but to reach out to them and say, hey, let's sit down and study this carefully and see if there's a different way to look at this. And maybe you can see that you have been misled and there's nothing wrong with admitting that. To him, it is obvious that October 21st, Camping's third prediction for the rapture and the apocalypse will not happen. But he views it as an opportunity to reach his followers and Christians in general to equip them with biblical literacy. He personally assumes that the leaders at Family Radio are beginning to have a power struggle. He conjectured that when he noticed all of Camping's books and recordings on the end of the world were removed from the Family Radio website following the May 21st rapture dud, the radio network, he noticed, is now using his older recordings before Camping began talking about the apocalypse. That was the time when the broadcaster seemed to have a genuine person who truly believes the Bible and truly wants to teach the Bible and when Hammock would never question his sincerity because it seemed he truly wanted to teach the Bible. Now, however, he's mishandling the scriptures, he concluded. So, great article, good uh, good insight. And uh, what was the problem there with the Herald Camping? What's gone wrong with him? It's his bizarre biblical hermeneutic. And the, the, his hermeneutic has turned into this idea that all of the Bible is parable and that there's symbolic meaning to every single thing in the Bible. That's ridiculous. That's That's a formula for basically turning the Bible into a piece of silly putty so that you can bend it into any funny little shape that you want to. And that is uh, that is really the, one of the primary, primary uh, ways in which people are greatly deceived. Beware, beware, beware when somebody over-symbolizes the Bible and turns everything into allegory and parable, and then they alone are the ones who've come up with a secret of decoding what each of the symbols means. That is a sure formula for disaster. Okay, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... sir can i help you yes do you have a copy of 30 days in the desert to learn your purpose and to cast the vision to the ignorant masses by s furtick qwz 
Uh, well, I don't know the book, sir. Uh, never mind, never mind. How about 101 Ways to Build a Mega Church and Make Big Bucks? I... Well, some American gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment. I believe his last name rhymes with Shin. Uh, no, well, we haven't gotten in stock, sir. <sighs> oh, well, not to worry, not to worry. Can you help me with the screw tape letters? Ah, uh, yes. C.S. Lewis. No. I beg your pardon? No, Harold Wapcat. I think you'll find C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. No, no, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters with one C. This is the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. The screw tape letters with two C's. Yes, I should have said that. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. Hmm, funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, we do, but we don't have the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. Hmm, pity, it's more thorough than Lewis's. More thorough? Yes, I, I wonder if it might be worth looking through all of your screw tape letterses. No, sir, all of our screw tape letterses have one C. Are you sh quite sure? Quite. Hmm, not worth just looking. Definitely not. All right. How about The Great Divorce? Yes, well, we have that. That's G-R-A-T-E, Divorce, but also by Harold Wapcat. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. We don't have anything by Harold Wapcat. He actually, he's not very popular. Not the problem of pain. That's P-R-O-A-B-L-U-M. No. Mm, the Chronicles of Narnia with a K. No. How about Out of the Violent Planet? Definitely not. <sighs> Sorry to trouble you. Not at all. Good morning. Good morning. Oh! Yes, I wonder if you might have a copy of Perilous Landra. No, as I said before, we're right out of Harold Wapcat. No, not Harold Wapcat. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yes. You mean Perilandra. No, Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis. That's Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. No, well, we don't have Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. And perhaps to save time, I should add that we don't have Dandy Landra by C.S. Lewis or the penultimate battle by Clive Staples' Chewbacca, or even Out of the Silent But Deadly Planet by B.S. Lewis with four eyes and a silent Q. What a pity. That's my favorite. Why don't you try Zondervan? I, I did. They sent me here. Did they? I, I wonder. Oh, do go on, please. Yes, I, I wonder if you might have the amazing adventures of Pastor Perry Noble and his intrepid spaniel Stig amongst the giant purpose-driven pygmies of Beckles. Volume 8. No. Don't have that. Funny. Got a lot of books here. Well, I mustn't keep you standing here. Thank you. Oh, well, do you have... No, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. But, 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 Sorry, but, but, it's one o'clock. We're closing for lunch. I, I saw it. I saw it. What? What? I, I saw it over there. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Yes. B-O-D-I-E-S. Yes. M-A-Y-E-R. Yes. Yes, well, we do have that, as a matter of fact. The expurgated version. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. The expurgated the version. The expurgated version of Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Mayer? The one without the Lutherans. The, the one without the Lutherans? They've all got the Lutherans. It's a standard religious body. The Lutherans are in all the books. Well, I don't like them. They baptize infants. All right, I'll remove it. Any other religious bodies you don't like? I don't like the Presbyterians. Uh, the Presbyterians, right. Presbyterians. There you are. Any others you don't like? Any others? The Methodists. The Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists. Oh, yeah, they are. There you are. No Lutherans, no Presbyterians, no Methodists. There's your book. I can't buy that. It's torn. <laughs> I, I wonder if you have... Um... No, go on. Ask me anything. We've got lots of book here. You know, it's a bookshop. How about Osteen brushes his teeth? No, no, we don't have that one. Funny. Uh, the Gospel According to Rob Bell. No, no, no. Try me again. Uh, I, I know. Uh, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. No, no, no. What, what, what? what? Yeah, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. Martin Chemnitz is the two Yes! We got it! I see it somewhere! Yes! I found it! It's here! Got it! Yes! Here we are! Martin Camden's two natures in Christ! There's your book! 
Now buy it. I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit. I, I don't have any money. I'll take a check. I, I don't have a checkbook. I got a blank one. I, I don't have a bank account. Right. I'll buy it for you. There we are. There's change. There's some money for a taxi on the wait, way. There's wait, 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 wait. What, 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 what? I can't read. You can't read. Right? Sit down. Sit down. Sit, sit. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Chapter one. Because the person of the incarnate Christ is made up of two natures, the divine and the human, united into one hypostasis, there follows from this a communion of attributes. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. We're back. Warning. The Bible isn't just full of symbols only where certain people can divine what they mean. No, no. you got to apply the historical grammatical method. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. We truly do depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. We still need about 200 people to join our crew. Are are you listening to this program and growing as a result of uh, listening? We need you to help support us so we can keep doing what we're doing. In order for us to uh, guarantee that we're going to meet our budget month after month after month, we need to add 200 more members of our crew. And when you join our crew... Uh, This week, I will be sending you a link so that you can download Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Now, you're probably wondering, why did I select such a a book for the perk for this month? Well, I'm glad that you asked. The reason being is this, is that uh, it's important that you read books from outside of this century. You d- you want to read old books. If you want to know what historic Christianity has taught and believed, then it's important that you read books that are, well, from guys who are safely already in heaven, who over their lifetime showed that they remained faithful and true to Orthodox Christianity. And you, when you look at how they handled God's Word and how they read particular passages, you then, today, hearing all of these 
crazy, innovative guys who are finding all kinds of bizarre meanings that nobody else has ever figured out before will realize, oh, I see what the problem is. Those guys are maintaining a sound hermeneutic when it comes to understanding the scripture. And so when you read these old books, it, it's like a flu shot. It, it, it inoculates you against heresy. And so that's the idea. And and this book is fantastic. It's like a VIP tour, you know, back lot tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, as I've been doing the, the text edits in pre- preparation for getting this book out to you, I... I have found myself literally gripped by this uh, this uh, book. It is that good. So, anyway, the way you join our crew, visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button. It's only $6.95 every month. And then this week you will be getting a notification on how to download this uh, this month's ebook for our our our, uh, our crew members. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, Zip code four six zero three eight. Okay, we it's time to move along, and um, going with our theme today here. Ah, yes, that can mean only one thing. <laughs> time for an update from somebody in the Patricia King gang. That's right. These are people who couldn't spell the word hermeneutic if their life depended on it. Um, uh, latest edition uh, from the folks at the Patricia King Gang. Now, this is for a, 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 a this is for a conference that's already passed. It was in September of last year. But uh, those of you who uh, you know who are not really hip to the whole thing that Lisa Bevere is pushing as far as being a lioness. Now, being a guy, I don't want to be a lioness. I'm a guy, so I'm a lion. No, I'm not even that anyway. But anyway, I'm not really into the animal thing. But if you wanted to be, a, rather than be a lioness, you wanted to be a daughter of lightning. Yeah. Um, here's Angela Grinick. Women in Kentucky, in Nortonville, Kentucky, on September 28th, in the evening at the River Church, we're going to be doing a, a Daughters of Lightning. It's going to be one night only. But I Shocking. tell you by the Spirit of God, you will be activated into your giftings. No, Really? Oh, man, I'm so sad that you folks in Kentucky miss this. I mean, if you've been looking for a way for you to be activated in your giftings and uh, you've always wanted to be a daughter of lightning, I, I have to I sadly say that this, this, this event has already come and gone. And so, Father, we just want to release right now the wind and the fire and the rain. God spoke to me that it was, he did. It was time for the daughters of lightning to be released throughout the world. Yeah, daughters of lightning released throughout the world, starting with Kentucky is ground zero. Who, who could have seen that one coming? Women, we are needed. Daughters, we are needed. God is raising up his daughters all over the world. Yeah, daughters of lightning. Because we are apostles. We are prophets. We are homemakers. We are butcher, baker, candlestick makers. And we yeah, right on. We can do it all. That's and right. And you got lightning to boot. Still do the work that God has called us to do. In Nortonville, Kentucky, on September 28th, in the evening at the River Church. So stay tuned because things are really starting to move. You know what we know? We've been activated. Now it's time to accelerate. Yeah, you've been activated. Now it's time to accelerate. For those of you who are daughters of lightning. <laughs> you know, talking about Angela Grinnig, uh, check out how she handles the scripture in this little audio uh, from this video entitled Crossing Over. 
Hi, I'm Angela Greenick, and I really have an encouraging word right now for you, and it's out of Joshua chapter 3. Yeah, great, you know, uh, and this is coming from the chief daughter of lightning herself. I mean, she might as well be like the daughter of Zeus, because Zeus was able to throw lightning bolts himself. Um, so, <clears throat> anyway... We continue. You know, even though we've had some perilous times and the economy's been hard and there's a lot of things in the natural, like devastations and earthquakes and and famine, um, God reminds us that sometimes in our most perilous times, that is when the greatest outpouring, the greatest fire, the greatest wind is released. And this... Yeah, what if I don't want fire and wind released? I've noticed that fire and wind don't really do well with, like, my house. Um... I try to keep my house away from both fire and wind because I don't want to have to repair the home. You know what I'm saying? Is the word that he gave me out of Joshua 3 just for you. Oh, wow. The Lord just gave you a, a, something out of Joshua 3 just for me. Oh, that's awful. Nice of you, Angela. But it really is time to cross over. Okay. Yeah, you, you get on with it. Start crossing over. It says, and early in the morning, um, the people that were with Joshua began to set out from the Jordan where they had been camped at. Yeah. Uh, before crossing over. Yeah. Uh-huh. Watch this. It says, after three days, the officers, God's people went throughout the camp and they gave orders to the people. They said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, yeah. your God, yeah. and the priest, who are the Levites, carrying it. Yeah. They said, you are to move from your position and follow it. Right. There's a key there, so hold on. I'll come back. Okay, I'm holding the key. I got it. I got, I got it right here in my hand. To that. He says, then you will know which way you are to go. I, wow. I love that. Yeah. Me too. I don't know why, though. Since you have never been this way before. Listen, God is wanting us to enlarge territory, to dream like we've never dreamed before. Uh, what? God wants us to enlarge territory and dream like we've never dreamed before. Uh, how'd you get that out of Joshua chapter 3 again? But he is really wanting us to prepare ourselves for something greater and bigger than we have, could even fathom or imagine. Uh, which verse in chapter 3 did you see that? And I love what he says because he says, I'm getting ready if you will pick up and move on, he says, I'm getting ready to take you somewhere you've never been before. Yeah, um, and who were they talking to? They weren't talking to me. They weren't talking to you. That was uh, the children of Israel who, well, historically, for real, actually, this is historical narrative. You know what happened? They were taken to someplace they'd never actually for real been before, you know. Like if you've never been to Norton, Kentucky, if you know if you're passing through Norton, Kentucky, you know somebody leading you the way and showing you how to get around Kentucky would say, and you know, kind of point you how to get around. I mean, same thing. That's and so we're reading historical narrative. Um, weird that you're allegorizing and symbolizing it. It's not even a word. Uh, symbologizing. I don't even know if that's a word, but anyway, you're 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 allegorizing and symbologizing it, and um, yeah, um, the way it was meant to be understood is is that this is what actually occurred in history. This is historical narrative. You know, it's really sad sometimes in ministry. Sometimes people don't want to change. Some some ministers like a church of a hundred or five thousand, and you know, sometimes I think, well, you know, I like the way things are. And say, huh? 
Sadly, a lot of times, God people, they like things the way they are. Sometimes people don't want their churches to grow. They don't want to go out and do other things because that will mean things changing for them. And what does this have to do with Joshua chapter 3 again? And it's really kind of ironic, but sometimes people really don't like change. They have a hard time dealing with it. Yeah, I don't like Daughters of Lightning either, you know, because, um, you know, they, they... I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't like you know, raw electricity, you know, shocking things, you know. But listen, God had brought in his people out of Egypt at a great bondage. Yeah, yeah, and this occurred historically for real. And you know the story of what happened. Yeah, yeah, I've read it many times. And a lot of them never got to cross over. And they... Yeah, the reason why a lot of them didn't get to cross over is because they actually didn't have faith in God. Uh, they even, despite the fact they witnessed the most amazing miracles, and you know, as far as spectacle is concerned, that have ever occurred in the history of mankind, they persisted in sin and unbelief. Isn't that kind of weird? Don't you think? Had to wait, and even and by the way, the, the, that's what it says in Jude. Jude actually is the thing that gives us that interpretation. So I'm just telling you what Jude talked about. They, the reason why they didn't cross over is because they didn't have faith. Moses, who was God's man of the hour never even crossed over into the promised land. You know? And that was because he disobeyed God. No, but God is wanting us to get ready to cross into the promised land where it's milk and honey. And um, What? Uh, God is wanting us to get ready to cross into the promised land. What are you talking about? Notice bad hermeneutic at play here. She's... um basically allegorizing and symbolizing this historical narrative and finding new meaning in stuff that, well, it ain't there. The abundance is going to be overwhelming and really blow your mind. Yeah, but uh, see, here's the deal. Um, I'm not part of the group of people who were physically taken out of the land of Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then crossed the Jordan and then took the promised land. That See, that's this that Bible story is really all about what God did through them. Um, it has, you know, um, yeah, um, the promised land that I've been promised, well, is the kingdom of God when Christ returns. Yeah, it's completely different, though. But the problem is, is at times it's not what we think it's going to be. Okay, so milk and honey isn't milk and honey. What do you think and it is? that's where we become so disappointed and yeah, discouraged okay, all right. that we just want to give up. Right. But I want to keep reading this. Oh, please do. I mean, you're showing your great biblical knowledge here so he says when um he says you will know that you have never been this way before so this is what he said when you see god getting ready to move he said and joshua told the people this day you must consecrate yourself for tomorrow the lord is getting ready to do amazing things among you now i want to take a minute and take you back to the key oh, please yeah because i am still holding it because it's really important right now. Oh, I'm sure it is. See, God is wanting us to know as we trust him and get up and move into this next level. Uh, move into what? That he's giving us. He what next level are you talking about? This this passage doesn't say anything about some new next level that God's supposed to be leading me into, that I have to cross over in order to whatever. You he's know? already given us the key to go and possess the land. What land am I supposed to go and possess? I mean, I live in Indiana, central Indiana. There's no open land that doesn't belong to somebody that I can just move into and start possessing. They they declare me to be a squatter and then, you know, kick me off of it. 
But there's a key that goes with that, and it's called um, that you have to go to consecrate yourself. Um, you do understand that in this text, consecrating yourself had a very specific meaning, and that meaning is found in the consecration rites and ceremonies of the Mosaic Law. And really, what it is about consecrating yourself is that you so empty out yourself. It really, where'd you come up with this interpretation? Where in the Bible does it say to consecrate yourself, you have to empty out yourself? Now, here's the deal. Uh, if I, I'm not a glass, I'm not a bucket. So, um, and even if, let, let's just take for an example, let's pretend that really I was some kind of spiritual bucket. Um, if I could tip myself over and pour myself out, um, uh, then uh, there would still be a lot of me that's still left in the container, even though the container was empty. You get what I'm saying here? That there's nothing left inside. Yeah, and where'd you get this, lady? At just the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, yeah, uh-huh. Sounds so religious and so pious. Again, where'd you get this idea? And he comes and invades your life. There isn't room for sin, jealousy, anger, gossip, slander, hatred, murder, um... Oh, that sounds so pious, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, there's no... See, once you pour yourself out, then the Holy Spirit invades the container, and then there's no room for sin and all that other kind of stuff. None of those things. Yeah. Because the love of God so fills your heart. Yeah, you don't... You have no idea what the Bible teaches, lady. That there's really no room for anything else. And I will tell you this honestly. No, you've actually been deceiving us the whole time, and rather duplicitously. If we are wanting to see the greatest outpourings and signs and wonders, which, believe me, we all want to see that. Yeah, okay. We all want to see the greatest outpourings of supernatural signs and wonders. Um, I'm pretty happy with the way things are. If that is going to happen where we're at today, then sin must be totally removed out of our midst. Well, then, we'll never see any signs and wonders. Yeah, you, you tell me how you can completely remove sin from your midst that... You don't have to pray on a daily basis, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, you let me know when you achieve that state when you no longer have to pray that particular petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is a daily prayer. Uh, and then I'm sure that will show God that we're all serious so that he can finally uh, you know, uh, pour out signs and wonders. Now, I'm going to point something out to you here. If you're even familiar at all with the Joshua story and the Exodus story, um, you know, the story of, the, of God leading the children of Israel out of out of slavery in Egypt. Um, if God had to wait for them to purge themselves of all sin uh, before he can do the signs and wonders, you know, like the ten plagues on the, the people of Egypt, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, the feeding every everybody every day manna from heaven, uh, you know, stuff, miracles like that. Um, if God had to wait for them to purge all the sin from among them, uh, in order to do that, well, then they would never would none of those miracles would have taken place. God isn't waiting for us to purge ourselves. Last time I checked, all of our sins were taken care of by Christ on the cross, and that's who's missing from this. Notice that, yeah. The weird thing about those people who allegorize and symbolize uh, biblical texts in order to find their bizarre little new interpretations is um. The uh, the message that ends up being shoved out of the church, shoved out of their messages, shoved out of their sermons, is the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins and Christ and him crucified for our sins. That all somehow doesn't make any sense in all of this other stuff. 
Yeah, it makes me wonder. Mm. Uh, Angela Grenig, apparently uh, Patricia King has a very low threshold as far as, well, actually, I, I come to think of it, I, I was going to say that Patricia King has a low threshold as far as um, biblical fidelity is concerned when it comes to those people she allows to have a channel on her extreme prophetic uh, website. I was beginning to wonder, yeah, yeah I, was, I, I was thinking about this the wrong way. And in fact, I'm pretty convinced at this point that anybody who is solid solidly orthodox who actually proclaims and teaches the historic christian faith those are the people who are not welcome at extremeprophetic.com all right we are up on our second break if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there pirate christian We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Roseboro here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says, Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Focus on 
how the Bible is used in this sermon. You will see similarities to um, William Tapley's so-called hermeneutic, which is the same as Camping's hermeneutic, which is the same as the hermeneutic we just heard Angela Grenig engaging in. Let's cue up the sermon review music. Here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Elevate Life Church, Frisco, Texas. Pastor Keith Craft presiding. Now, Keith has uh, stuck his toe into the tele-evangelist waters and is now a tele-evangelist. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> this sermon had me cracking up when I was previewing it. The name of the sermon, The Eleven Beatitudes of the Becomer. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Anyway, again, watch the hermeneutic. Watch what he does with the Bible. I, it, it's unbelievable. Anyway, let's kill the music. So without any further ado, this is uh, Keith Craft, Elevate Life Church, Frisco, Texas, the 11 Beatitudes of the Becomer. And I kid you not, this, this is William Tapley's hermeneutic on steroids. Here we go. or so people a week that are watching. We just bless you guys. And hey, everybody else is moving to Frisco. Come on down. Join our church. We're building a... No, do not join this church unless you want to go to hell. Bigger one just for you. Give them a big hand. Thank you for watching all around the world. Bless you. Well, hey, are you guys ready for a word from God today? Y'all ready? Hey, greet somebody. Give them a high five, a low five if they're already sitting down. So glad that you're here, honored that you're here, and we're going to be talking on the subject of 11. This is our 11th series, and this is 2011. We believe that God has given us a word because we think that there are some natural, supernatural correlations, and here's why. We believe based on the Bible that the things that are unseen are made manifest by the things that are seen, Romans the first chapter. So what that means is for... Oh, man. He's not reading Romans the first chapter. Oh, man. For everything in the natural, there is a supernatural correlation. So God. Oh no, we're already off on the wrong foot. God is always trying to add His super to our natural, and we've got to be the. <laughs> God is always trying to add His super to our natural. Really, 
the ones that make the correlation. What is it that God is saying? So oftentimes the enemy of our soul, which is the devil, tries to get us focused on the negative things. He tries to get us focused. Yeah, you know, I thought the devil tries to deceive us and to tempt us into sin. I didn't know he was trying to focus us in on the negative things. On the negative things in the natural, so that it can keep God's super from being added to our natural. And Okay, I've got to back this up. I, you've got to hear it without me interrupting. It, uh, it's unbelievable. Super to our natural, and we've got to be the ones that make the correlation. What is it that God is saying? So oftentimes the enemy of our soul, which is the devil, tries to get us focused on the negative things. He tries to get us focused on the negative things in the natural so that it can keep God's super from being added to our natural. And yet God uses the negative as well as the positive in our life. So I want you to take a look at your notes. We're going to be talking about the 11 Beatitudes of the Becomer because the revelation of becoming is one of the biblical meanings of the number 11. So let's look at your notes. St. Augustine said this, Numbers are the universal language offered by the deity to humans as confirmation of the truth. And I believe that. It's not a- What? I don't think you've ever read Augustine. It's not about numerology. It's not about uh, horoscopes or something like that. It's about understanding that God uses numbers to speak. And, and there are certain numbers in Scripture, whether the number is actually given or in this case, it's the 11th born son named Joseph that we're going to talk about. And Uh-oh. how by looking at the life of Joseph. The number 11. Hmm. We find 11 Beatitudes. Here's the way I'm going to choose to. So there's 11 Beatitudes in the life of Joseph. Really? You're the first to find them. Wow. To be in my life so that no matter what happens, I'll always have the best result and the best outcome. So in your notes, some of the natural, supernatural correlations that I'm going to take a little bit of time to go through with you. In the Bible, 11 is the number of incompleteness, disorder, disorganization, and disintegration. Really? And uh, where in the Bible does it say the number of 11 is the number of disintegration? Where did you find this information? And so you can see that in our world today. Uh, some of the world events that you can see, the ending of World War One. I, I mean, on and on and on it goes. What does the ending of World War One have to do with the number 11? What are you talking about? Uh, the Mariachi Trench, which is the deepest point of the ocean. It's 11. The Mariachi Trench. Really? Huh. I... (laughs) These are the sounds of the Mariachi Trench. This is the sound of incompleteness.
All right, enough of that. <laughs> Mariachi Trench. <laughs> That in our world today, uh, some of the world events that you can see, the ending of World War One. I, I mean, on and on and on it goes. Uh, the Mariachi Trench, which is the deepest point of the ocean, is eleven kilometers deep. For oh yeah, eleven kilometers. That'll what if we what if we measured it in miles? That would mess up the number. Sorry. A rocket to get out of this atmosphere, it has to go eleven kilometers per second. There's yeah. See, that's important. This is Harold Camping's hermeneutic. This is William Tapley's hermeneutic. This is Angela Grenig's hermeneutic. Hmm. There's just something with 11. Uh, yesterday, Congress, it was announced that Congress is going to release the Pentagon Papers. Now, for those of you that aren't up to speed on what that is, the Pentagon Papers are a 7,000-page uh, dossier, if I can say that, on the Vietnam War and the time of the Vietnam War and some things that, that have happened. But they made this special denotation. We're going to release those 7,000 pages, the Pentagon Papers, next month, but we have left out 11 words. This is, it's for sure. I'm convinced uh, Keith Craft here has gone to the William Tapley School of Bible Hermeneutics. This is crazy. Oh, I know it's just a coincidence. But 7,000 pages, and we've chosen to delete 11 words. You see, God is always speaking. And for those of us that have an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, there's something in 2011 that he wants to speak to us out of his, out of his word. And so anytime... Uh, God has been wanting to speak to us out of his word for a long, long time, ever since his word was first put to pen and paper. Long before 2011, and... Um, yeah, weird. 11 is denoted or emphasized in Scripture. It brings interpretive significance. And so incomplete, disorder, disorganization, disintegration. Do we see that in our world today? In 2011, there's been more tornadoes in the history ever. In, ever. Yeah, because of the number 11, yeah. I mean, more uh, tornadoes. There's been tsunamis. There's been earthquakes. There's been political upheaval. Uh, we can see icons, and, you know, I, I pray for him. I think we should just fix the problem and just ban the use of the of the number 11. I mean... Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, uh, I mean, if, if, there, if there's a more successful person in Hollywood, I don't know who it would be. But for those of us that are action hero people, he's the man. And yet, again, disorder, disorganization, disintegration. We see it in Hollywood. We see it in politics. We see it in the earth. We see it in different nations. We see it everywhere we go. And so, anyway, it's, it's the year where, where you can either live on that side of it, disorder, disorganization, disintegration, or you can live on the revelation of becoming side of it. And there is a positive. The revelation of becoming side of it? Huh? Positive to this year. There's a positive to the number of 11. There's a positive that we can learn from the life of Joseph, where it looked like his life was in disorder. His life was disorganized. His family disintegrated. It looked like things were headed totally in the wrong direction. And yet there's something that God is speaking to us. So in the supernatural, in the kingdom, incompleteness means the more you become, God ensures the best is yet to come. In other words, the more I become, the more I can begin in the most positive sense to not be controlled by outside forces, but God is making... Uh, become what? 
a Fruit Loop? I mean, what am I supposed to become? Me bigger so that whatever becomes bigger out here, I have dominion over. What does that sentence even mean? When we look at disorder, it means dealing with what is out of order so God can order your steps. The Bible says in Psalms 37 that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. And though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord will uphold him with his righteous hand. So even when we get out of order, even when we get disorganized, the steps of a good man, a man that's striving to be the the man or the woman that God wants them to be, the the steps of that person are ordered of the Lord. And though he fall, though he gets disordered or disorganized or or things disintegrate, he will not... Yeah, kind of like the sermon. I mean, talk about disordered and disorganized and totally disintegrating on the uh, sound biblical theology front and sound hermeneutics front. Totally disorganized and disintegrated. The number 11 has obviously had a profound impact on this sermon. It is important to note that this sermon was preached in 2011. That explains the problem. He cast down for the Lord will uphold him with his righteous hand. So disorganization. (laughs) There's people clapping. What are they clapping for? And what does that mean in this season of life? Biblically, it means a dismantling of old structures that are keeping the vision from happening. The dismantling of the old structures that are keeping the vision from happening. Um, what vision is being kept from happening, sir? So in our church, as we move towards moving into this building... In the year of incompleteness, it's going to be completed. In the year of disorder, it's going to be ordered. In the year of disorganization, it's going to be organized. What's happening is there's a dismantling of old structures of the way things have been because God's about to do something new. My kids showed me recently, I can't remember which one, but it seems like all three of them showed me. I think it was the two girls, actually, because this would be foolishness for Josh. But uh, it's a YouTube video of a kid in the 80s uh, doing a DC Talk song. God is doing a new thing. It's just so funny. Has anybody seen that video? I'm sure my... Thank God, no. My kids are the only ones searching YouTube for those things. But anyway, uh, but God is doing a new thing. And so it's going to be a dismantling of what has been. So so God's doing a new thing and he's going to dismantle the has-been stuff that he's been doing. Yeah, that should always be a red flag. When you hear somebody saying God's doing a new thing and he's going to dismantle church, the, you know, the message that's, that's been preached for 2,000 years, run. Because the thing that he's going to tell you is the new thing is really just old heresy repackaged. So that he can do the new thing. And then I love this, disintegration. What, is, what does that mean in context of our lives personally? It means an end to what has been. How many of y'all wouldn't mind what has been, some of what has been coming to an end? Come on. It means an end to what has been and what is. How many of y'all wouldn't mind what is right now coming to an end, being disintegrated? And listen to this, so that what is possible can happen. What is God always trying to get us into? The future. God is a God of the future. We've had this picture up on the wall since 2009. Maybe further back than that, maybe since 2008, that picture is finally coming into fruition. It's happening next door. we got to get a picture of the future. And by the way, since you're going to be living into the future, why don't you start thinking about what is possible for my future? But get ready for some... Th- 
Oh, man. This is... <laughs> How do you critique this biblically when we're not even anywhere close to something biblical? Things to be disintegrated that's keeping you from a better future than you have right now. Be willing to let that go. And then finally, the revelation of becoming means that because we are incomplete, we are under construction. We are God's artwork in progress. Look at somebody right now and say, God is not through with me yet. Cut me some slack. Wow. And some of you said the opposite. You said, God's not through with you. I just want you to know. I'm cutting you some slack. Hey, take a look at some of these natural, supernatural correlations. Just some very interesting stuff. Oh, yeah, please. I, I, I'm sure this will sound just like William Tapley. Jesus appeared 11 times after his death on the cross. Yeah. He appeared in person. Why not nine times? Why not 10 times? 11 times. Here- well, if Jesus appeared 11 times, that means he was disintegrating. Here's why. The supernatural correlation is that when we die to our flesh and Jesus died in the flesh, we allow God to prove himself strong in and through our lives. Amen. Really? Serious, eh? And that's why he appeared 11 times. Where did how did you figure this out again? Man. So God Jesus could not rise from the dead. He could not be a living savior if he had not died on the cross. There are certain things that have to disintegrate. There's certain things that have to get into disorder so that there can be new order. There's certain things that have to really where is all this disintegration new order order stuff uh, actually clearly taught in like unambiguous clear words? to be disorganized and dismantled as they are. Why? Because God is doing a new thing. And so while it looked like that Jesus, that the devil was killing Jesus, Jesus was given his life for our sins so that we could have life. Hey, hey that's a bona fide gospel nugget. I mean, when was the last time we uh, got a for real... There it was. That was the gospel, folks. And it came in and went out really fast. Okay. And then one more thing. The average heart weighs 11 ounces. I just find that... Oh, that means my heart's disintegrating, right? It's fascinating. My heart doctor was here last night. We talked a little bit about this. Even afterwards, he sent me an email. There are two main coronary arteries. The right artery, main artery in your heart, sends blood to the lungs. The left one sends blood to the rest of the body. And again, there's just some natural, supernatural correlations to this. The- Please tell me. Reveal the, the, the secrets hidden until you've discovered them. The most important parts of you cannot be seen with your natural eye. The flow of your life will be seen and come from the arteries, two primary arteries, and that is your artery of discipline that will help develop your competency. Yeah, you, you got to develop that artery of discipline. Get on, and hopefully you won't have clogging of that artery. You don't want to have... Uh, uh, an 11 artery that disintegrates into cloggedness. That would be bad. You, you got to make sure that you, you uh, develop that, that artery of discipline without the number 11 so that it doesn't disintegrate into cloggy things. And the artery of your commitments, which will generate the flow of your effectiveness. Now I don't have time to teach. Yeah. You, whoo, that's so important. I mean, yeah, because that other artery generates the flow of your effectiveness. I have no idea what that means. But that it sounds really important, and you don't want to mess with that. Because, I mean, if you disrupt the flow of your effectiveness and you haven't properly disciplined it, then cloggedness has come in. And you can suffer an 
a, a coronary event that could cause your effectiveness to, you know, um, go into a an, into a heart attack. Right. Each on this, but that's powerful. Oh yeah, that that was truly powerful. Yeah, I'm who Mufasa. Yeah, whoo. And yeah, this I got goosebumps. Most people do not realize that when it comes to your competency, what you're good at or what you're not good at is based on your discipline to develop your gift. I, I did not know that. I, I had no idea. And what does this have to do with the number 11 again? I, I, I miss that. In other words, whatever level of your gift, wherever you are, every one of us have gifts. Y'all know you got gifts, right? So whatever level of your... Yes, I get gifts for Christmas. And on my birthday and sometimes for my anniversary. Yes, I have gifts. Your gift is right now, whatever those gifts are, it's your personal discipline that develops that gift and that competency. So that's a major artery that you cannot see that causes your life to do the second thing, and that's to be effective. Right, yeah. Is anyone taking notes on this? Because I'd like to see how the outline structure of this sermon works. In other words, am I effective in life at doing what I'm good at? There's a lot of people that are doing good and they're doing a job, but they're not doing what they're good at. They're not, they're not getting paid for what they're the best at. Yeah, that's because they've been, uh, well, they've been demonically influenced um, by the, uh, the mariachi trench. And that's really God's will. God's will is for there to be an exchange in your life for what you sow is what you reap. So your discipline and your commitment are literally the two major arteries that make what you do better. Right, yeah. Uh -huh. And make what you do effective. Oh, I had no idea. Wow. Read the Bible so many times. I just totally skipped over all of that stuff, apparently. So very, very important. Again, I could just teach on that today, but I got so much more. We'll oh. oh, don't tease us like that. I only got to about 2.30, so I need to get into this and really get on with it. But anyway, how many of you that speaks to you? Come on, does that speak to you? Now, I know for some of you, you're just still kind of running it through your filter, but here's what I'm telling you. The disciplines in your life develop your competencies. That's where you have to take ownership. You're not just going to be good at something because you're good at it and you can sit around and do nothing about it. You've got to discipline yourself. And then, on top of that, you got to make a commitment to be effective and more effective at what you do. That's called excellence and not just be average. People that are average in life do not get paid very well. Right. And, they, and worse, I mean, they, it's, you can really tell that they're not doing well if they get paid $11. Yeah, because then everything disintegrates after that. So if you're not getting paid very well, it's not because you're not gifted. But the bottom line is the discipline's got to grow, the commitment's got to become more, and you'll see life will pay you more. Yeah. Um, you notice that uh, there's a profound lack of any open Bible at this point in sermon. I don't know where he got any of this stuff. It's really true. Not a man, not a person, but life will pay you more. That's the way it works. All right. Let's look at Genesis, the 50th chapter. And this is oh, yeah. Genesis 5-0. I'm all over it. So glad you skipped over Genesis 11 because that's the law, that's the chapter of disintegration.
This is one of my favorite chapters. This is one of my favorite stories about one of my favorite people in the Bible. And we're going to start at the end today, and then we're going to, in the next two weeks, uh, explore the life of the 11th son, and that is Joseph. Look at verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, who was their, their father? It was Jacob. We preached about him the first week. When they saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. Let me stop right here and give you some revelation. Are you ready for this? Come on. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Come on. Start revealing. Yeah. yeah. We don't need the Bible. We need some direct revelation. Go ahead. A lot of times we think ways about people because that's the way we are. And so I want you to hear their thought process. Yeah. It's not so much about how Joseph was, but it was about how they were and how they, they would do if they were in Joseph's situation. And they reveal themselves by their thought processes. And let me just tell you, you reveal yourself by how you think other people will be. Yeah. And you know what happens when that happens? Well... <laughs> Then we tie a millstone around your neck and throw you into the mariachi trench. Okay, back to the sermon. Because most of us think other people will be like us. And so therefore, if you see people as mean all the time, you might be mean. If you see people as unhappy all the time, you might be unhappy. So I want you to get that. Perhaps he will hate us and repay us for all the evil which we did to him because that's what we would do. So they sent messengers to their own brother, and here's what the messengers said. Before your father died, he commanded, saying, we just want to remind you, here's what your daddy told you to do before he died. Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, this is them speaking. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. That showed his heart. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to him, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Let me answer that question. Yes, he is, and yes, you are. What? What? Uh, Oh, okay. So we're in the place of God. That's what Joseph meant. Hang on.
Sing along if you know it. Okay, enough of that. Let's, oh man. I'd rather listen to the mariachi music. From the mariachi trench, 11 kilometers down. And here's what he said. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so what he's saying is, am I in the place of God? Now, I want you to see yourself as Joseph. We're going to learn from the life of Joseph today because Joseph was in the place of God just like you're in the place of God. Uh, The whole point of Joseph asking the question, am I in the place of God, was the answer is it, that is implied in the text is no. <laughs> How'd you come up with a yes on that? A little too much time down there at the bottom of the mariachi trench, I'm thinking, you know? You say, well, how am I in the place of God? You're God's son and you're God's daughter. In fact, if you are a Christian, to be a Christian literally means to be Christ-like. And so we're to learn what God's modus operandi, what God's modality of operation is in the world. Right, and we can find that down at the bottom of the Mariachi Trench. This whole sermon is nonsense. And part of what God's trying to show us here is that we are in the place of God to bless or curse people. We're in the place of God to give mercy or judge people. We're in the place of God to speak life or to speak death over people. We're in the place of God. Oh, man. I, I, hmm. Keith, I got to ask a question. Have, have you spent any time in the sun lately? I'm beginning to think that maybe, just maybe, um, the hot Texas sun down there in Frisco may have melted your brain. I'm, I'm worried about you. To change every atmosphere everywhere we go, because wherever you go, there you are. So let's look at, let's look at your notes here. Um, Shakespeare. <laughs> Hang on. Just remember, wherever you go, there you are. Hamlet, he wrote in the first, the first line of Hamlet is something we all know. Finish it if you know it. To be or that. Y'all are all so smart. I mean, that's Shakespeare right there. You got it, man. Uh, that's. <laughs> I didn't learn that watching Hamlet. I saw it on cartoons. It, it, to be or not to be, that is the question. Uh, whether it is nobler to... Uh, I've, I've seen Bugs Bunny uh, do a reprisal of that. And, uh. To be or not to be, that is the question. Why do we all know that? Because it's a profound question. To be or not to be... No, I, I know it because I've seen it a million different times on different cartoons. It's always funny. It's a, uh. That is the question. Most people don't... Even- I, in fact, I, you know what? I, one, of my, one of my most favorite uh, uh, you know, uh, versions of that whole thing from the little rascal, Spanky. Uh, he, he does to be or not to be. And uh, while he's doing that, uh, the people in the, uh, the other kids in the audience are actually using their pea shooters to shoot at him. And so every time he says a line, he has to hold up his shield because you know, in comes all these... Uh, uh, these peas being shot at him from pea shooters from the audience. To be or not to be. 
yeah, anyway. I don't even understand what that means, to be or not to be, that is the question. Shakespeare goes on through Hamlet and tries to explain it a little bit, but the reality is this. Your think determines how you'll be, your be determines what you do, and your think be do equals what you have in life. <laughs> My think be do? <laughs> I'm going, I, 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 oh man, the number 11 has completely disintegrated my brain. <laughs> How anybody could take this seriously is me, Keith, are, are, please tell me this is satire. Hang on, I, <laughs> my think be do, oh no, he did. I got to back this up. Hang on. To be or not to be, that is the question. Why do we all know that? Because it's a profound question. To be or not to be, that is the question. Most people don't even understand what that means. To be or not to be, that is the question. Shakespeare goes on through Hamlet and tries to explain it a little bit. But the reality is this. Your think determines how you'll be. Your be determines what you do. And your think be do equals what you have in life. I could just see somebody coming home after church going, Honey, what's my think-be-do? What does that do again? I, I got to make sure that my think-be-do ain't doing the wrong thing that it shouldn't be doing because cause otherwise the number 11 from the Mariachi Trench will come and get me. And so when we go through life, if I look at any area of my life that I do not like, here's what I have financially, here's what I have in my relationships, here's the kind of marriage that I have, here's the kind of job that I have, here's the kind of friends that I have. If I look at any area of my life and I do not like what I have, I have a responsibility to go back to the way I think, the way I am or the way I be and what I do in life because that determines what I have. It's very important. We teach that very strongly around here. <laughs> well, whew, I'm so glad you teach that strongly. I. <laughs> yeah, because that think be do. Yeah, you got to do something about your think be do's. And so to understand this, I wrote a little leadershipology, not to be or not to be. But I think, is this in your notes? To become or not to be. <laughs> he, he wrote a leadership ology not to be not to be not to be what on earth is this <laughs> oh man this guy makes william tapley look brilliant Become, that is the question. So if 11 is the revelation of becoming, then we have to answer the question. Am I going to become the person God wants me to become, or am I just going to be whoever? You know why 6 is afraid of 7? Well, because 7, 8, 9, yeah. To become or not to become, that is the question. You are in a process of becoming someone who affects everyone and everything in your life. Wow, really? Yes. No matter how young, no matter how old you are, you are in the process of becoming someone who affects everyone that will ever come into your sphere and everything that you're ever a part of. 
You're being shaped by people, places, and things as well as being a shaper of people, places, and things. Now, listen to this very carefully. The better you become better, the better people, places, and things become better. Wow. So the responsibility is not on other people. No, it's on me for things to get better. The responsibility is not on the place, my job, my church, wherever place I'm at. The responsibility is not on that place first. No, it's on me. The responsibility is not on things. No, the responsibility is on me. So if I look at the the people and the places and the things in my life, and if there's any dissatisfaction, if there's any discontentment, if I wish any person, any place, or anything would get better in my life, if I could take ownership of that and say, you know what, I'm going to get better, all of a sudden, because I get better, it forces that person, that place, and that thing to get better. Oh, wow. Who knew? I had no idea. This is all part of that equation about the think be do. But I have to take ownership of that. Never allow what has been to keep you from becoming what you could have been if you knew what you know now then. Can you diagram that for me, please? How many, how many of you wish you had known then what you know now? Because if you knew then what you know now... Things would have been different then. Come on. All right. Yeah, that's like the theme to Back to the Future, isn't it? So I want you to get this thought process that leads to the next thought. Here it is. It's never too late to become who you could have been. Oh, oh, that's so deep. It's unfathomable. Start right now. You might say, man, it's too late. I've made so many mistakes. Man, you know, I'm on my fourth marriage. Whatever. No, it's never too late to become what you could have been. And so it all comes back to, God, what is it that you're saying in this year? This is the revelation of becoming. God. (laughs) The revelation of becoming. Unbelievable. It's teaching us to become. A few weeks from now, I will ordain my son. It'll be one of the greatest privileges in my life. I'll cry that day, not today. But I, I, a few weeks from now on Father's Day, I will ordain Josh as the new youth pastor in our church for our young people. It's been my life dream. My life dream is that he would follow God's heart, that he would follow God's call. My life dream is that that Josh would keep himself pure. My life's dream would be that he would, with all of his heart, seek God. And when Pastor Sheila and I would go into his room and we would pray over him and speak into his life, and and I still speak into his life. But as a little boy, we would speak over him. I would tell him as a little boy, Josh, there's healing in your hands. God is going to use your hands to heal people. And he's been grown in an environment of belief and that nothing is impossible. So, so when he came to me this past year and he'd been working in our creative area, said, Dad, I think it's time for me to step up and take the youth. I said, I think it's time, son. I didn't appoint him to do that. He, he felt in his heart, this is what God's called me to do. And a new era starts two weeks from now. It's already begun the process, but I'm just telling you, it gets ramped up in about two weeks. If your young people are not in our youth group, they need to get in our youth group. Why? Because their life will change. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be awesome. So why am I saying that? My son is in the process of becoming. She- what? 
Oh, man. Bill and I are the spiritual father and mother of this house with sons and daughters who choose to say, you're not just our pastor, speak into our life as a spiritual father. Some of you never had a father that spoke into your life. You have that chance here. You never had a mother. Apparently, this spiritual father speaks absurdity into people's lives in order to try to create the effect that they're blessing them when, in fact, they're doing nothing of the sort. I mean, is any of this even biblically coherent at all? Mother that spoke into your life. You have that chance here. Why? Because if you'll position yourself in that way and understand that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God, He brings you into a place where you can have prophetically spoken over you what we do very profoundly here almost every week when I have you lay your hand on somebody's shoulder or hold somebody's hand and speak life over them. I take that very seriously. I believe we can speak things that are not as though they were and they will come to pass. That's Yeah, this is what he means by taking the place of God. He is a little deity. Wow. It's what a father believes. Some fathers don't think it's their role. They don't think that they can speak over their children's life. Then why did you name them? If you named your son and if you named your daughter, if they carry the name you gave them, and if your last name is their name, I don't care where they are in life, you have an authority given to you by God to speak into their life, and their spirit has to respond. You got any clear verses that say anything remotely like this? And when you begin to understand that... You're not a wimp dad or a wimp mom that doesn't think that you have nothing to say to your children. Even if you don't think they're listening, God has given you spiritual authority to speak over their life. And I promise you before God, what you say will happen in their life. Apparently you are God because your word doesn't return to you void. Wow. This is the uh, this is the theology of the devil, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. You will be like God. Who, Nelly? It will happen. It will happen. So God wants you to understand, and what He wants you to understand is this: we are all in the process of becoming. Rosabeth Moss Cantor. That name won't mean much to you. If you're not familiar with Harvard Business School, but I... It doesn't mean anything, just like the Mariachi Trench. Well, that now means something, but it didn't mean anything before you said it. I am. And at Harvard Business School, she just happens to be number 11. Oh, no, the number of diminishing returns. The top business intellectual list of all time. And here's what she said. Everything... Looks like failure in the middle. Some of y'all are in the middle of it right now, man. You're in the middle of the fight of your life. You're in the middle of a sorry marriage. You're in the middle of a tough job. You're in the middle of 2011, and things look incomplete. They look disordered. They look disorganized. It looks like things are disintegrating. Can I tell you, this year isn't up yet, and it doesn't stop with disorder, disorganization, and disintegration. It's the revelation of becoming. God is saying, how on earth anybody could sit through this and think that they're being taught the word of God? God is beyond me. I'm calling you to become everything that I've created you to become. And by the way, if you're my son and you're my daughter, I'm going to help you get there. I have no idea what he just said. You're not on. But it's a big applause line, though. Your own. Come on, I'm preaching good today because God's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. 
no, you ain't preaching good at all. This is complete and utter nonsense. In fact, I, I'd rather be listening to these guys. This is making me hungry for Mexican food. Mmm. See what it's becoming? This is the the B do B. I we continue. Receive that. Everybody just say I receive it. So let's talk about this eleventh son and some of the attitudes, the B attitudes that he had. Look at your look at your notes here. Number one, dream big even when people make you feel small. Uh, you'll notice that God is the one who sent the dreams to him, and he wasn't trying to dream big. They, 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 God is the one who was prophetically letting him know what was coming. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If, you hadn't made, if, you, if there's nobody ever in your life that's made you feel small, it's because you haven't dreamed big enough. Did you get that? Uh, well, I understood it, but it's not biblical. You say, well, nobody ever makes me feel small. That's because your dream's not big enough. Because I'm going to tell you, usually, and I'm going to talk to all the daddies just for a second. Usually it's the daddies that try to belittle the dreams of their sons and daughters. Because in their own mind, they don't realize the power that they have to speak. And so, here's Orville and... Apparently we're all little gods running around with the power to create with our words. Let there be light and poof, there it is. And Wilbur Wright, we're going to build an airplane. We're going to fly. And their father, who was a pastor, said these words out of his mouth. If man were meant to fly, God would have given him wings. That was their preacher daddy. Man of faith and power. I don't know what your daddy said to you or what your daddy didn't say to you, but here's what I can tell you. Most of you, any issues that you have with feeling small stem from a daddy who did not speak over you. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anybody you want to be, so get on with it. So as your spiritual father, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do, so get on with it. I don't care what your dad thought or didn't think. Get on with it. Frightening. It's God's heart towards you. And we've all got dreams. We've all had dreams. But what happens is, it seems like people come into our life, not just to, to debilitate our dreams, but to make our dreams small. The Bible says in Genesis 37, I'm just take you really, really quick through this. Now, Joseph had a dream, verse 5. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more for his dream. Wow. Well, they hated him even more. Well, that means they'd already drank the haterade. Oh, man. That was two verses before that. Yeah, I've got to point out the fact that the dream that he had wasn't him daydreaming and thinking big about what his future was going to be. God is the one who spoke to him in mysteries. It, it, the, oh, man. In a dream. Ah. Verse 3, now Israel, who was the father, everybody say father, he loved Joseph more than all his children because he, had his son, he was his son of his old age, and he made him a tunic, a coat of many colors. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all their brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now I'm going to tell you something about yourself that you may not know. The devil hates your guts. Y'all look at me. The devil hates your guts. He hates everything that you are. He hates everything that you can be because he knows something about you that you don't know. He knows how much God's hand is on you that you don't even see yet. So he hates you. So here's the... Really? And uh, you got a verse that says that? Revelation, it came to me. Uh, that was a revelation that came to you. Oh, yeah. Okay, got it. It's not in the Bible, but God told you directly. Got it. The revelation that came to me, she asked me a question a few months ago. She said, why, why does it seem like in life you've just got people that are so mean to you at times? Now, you got to know something. When people are mean to me, I don't cry. Sometimes. <laughs> but what I do is I decide I'm going to get better. No matter what, I'm going to get better. So, so it's like, it's like all my life, cause I've always been a bigger guy. People feel like they can like, like punch me or whatever. Cause I'm big. So they'd never think about punching the average person. They get to me, Hey, phew. guess you can take it. And hey, it kind of hurt anyway. So it's always like that. Josh, you're big. You know what I'm talking about? I slap him all the time. Bam. Walk up to him, hit him on the back. Bam. Hey, daddy. It's just with big people, that's kind of how it is. Let me just tell you something. With big dreamers, that's how it is. People think they can just say anything. Oh, man. This is not the message of the Bible or even Joseph. Uh, Wow. (laughs) I'd rather go back to the mariachi trench. And with people who seem confident, people think they can just attack you because they think it's not going to make any difference anyway. And the truth is it still hurts. But listen to this. The fact is... You need to understand something. This, this is what came to me this week. Why does the devil hate you so much? We don't think about that, but he does. He hates you through people. He, he, excuse me, he hates you through what people have said. Some of you remember way back. The devil will try to get at you through people. And it's not those people. It's the devil. And here's the re- the implication here is that uh, when Keith hears the sermon review, I'm the tool of the devil t- to shoot down his big dreams. Hardly, uh, uh, Keith, it has to do with the fact that what you're teaching ain't biblical. It's not found in the Bible. Your hermeneutic is completely twisted and obscure. It's not about you and your dreams. It's about Jesus Christ and his work to save your sorry, sinful butt. Revelation. Why does the devil hate you so much? Because God loves you so much. So I'm going to ask a very honest question. I'm going to ask a very honest question. And for some of you, it's painful. It's a painful question. My hand's already raised. How many of you have felt hate from other people and it does hurt? I think most of us have. I think most of us have. Dream big even when people make you feel small. Here's the beatitude. I will dream bigger than my biggest hater. (laughs) I like Jesus' beatitudes way better than yours. Here's what haters will say about this building. Oh, that guy's just building a monument to himself. If I was, my name would be right on the top of it. In fact, I'd put it on the roof. 
No, really what I put on the roof is I say the big money church. That's what I put on the roof. So there'd be no doubt. We got big money around here. Come on, somebody say amen. Some of y'all wouldn't mind being in the big money church. You come to this church, you get big money. Only way you get big money is you get big money. Some visitors are going. Oh, there we go. Principle of multiplication. The only way to get big money is to give big money. Um, yeah, I think of Tiger Woods. How, how much of his tithe do you think has gone into the local church for the gazillions of dollars that he has? Oh, my goodness. I can't even, what, what is this place? <laughs> place full of lovers and not haters. That's what it is. Anyway, the haters will say it's all about money. Every time I go to church, it's all about money. Because they don't realize the devil's speaking through them. That's the devil. God. So if you point out uh, the problems with Keith Craft's church, Elevate Life Church, um, well, <laughs> you you even say even a nary word. You say boo about them. Well, that's the devil speaking through you. Oh, okay, that's convenient. I want you to win. And he knows you have to be attached to something bigger than yourself to win. It's not just about your house. It's about his house. The second thing, and I'm only going to get to a few of these, never allow pits to make you pitiful. So this, this is the attitude that we have to have. Because Joseph, this, this goes very quickly, and all of a sudden his brothers say, Man, let's, let's kill him. They hated him so bad for his dreams, the Bible say, and says, and for his words. They said, let's kill him. They, they actually threw him in a pit and said, let's leave him for dead so his blood won't be on our hands. But we'll take his coat and we'll dip it in blood and show it to our daddy. And we'll tell him he got killed by wild animals. And then one of the brothers said, hey, let's don't kill him. What's in that for us? By the way, that's what me people are always thinking. What's in this for me? And so what happened is they said, let's sell him. That way, we'll at least get something for him. We'll still dip his coat in blood. Still tell daddy he's dead. But we'll sell him. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver. They threw him in a pit. They all, after they threw him in the pit, listen, the Bible says they were all sitting around eating lunch. He's in the pit going, hey, this, that's enough. That's, this isn't funny. I'm hungry too. Get me out of the pit. They're just up there going, we ain't getting you out of the pit. You, don't have, you have no idea. We're just deciding what we're going to do with you. Here he is. He's just, a, he's just a guy with a good attitude. He's a guy thinking, hey, surely they love me as much as I love them. Boy, is that a delusion or what? Have you ever been in any kind of relationship where you were more of the friend than the person who was supposed to be a friend to you? Where you were more of the partner than the partner was to you? Where you were more of the lover? And all of a sudden, one day you realize, that person doesn't feel the same way I feel. How many of y'all ever had that revelation? It's like, whoa, man, what's up with that? That's how we think, isn't it? Both negatively and positively. We think everybody feels the way we feel negatively. Not true. And we think everybody feels the way we feel positively. Not true. And boy, it, could be, it becomes a revelation when you go, that person doesn't love me the way I love them. You know, or that friend wasn't the kind of friend that I ought to give my life for that person. And they just walked out of my life. You know? So don't let the pits make you pitiful. The pits that other people throw you in, that they try to keep you in. Hey, they brought Joseph out of the pit, and he's going, you know, I, I'm, I can just see him. That man, thanks. Okay, that was, I'm not going to be mad. 
where in the story of Joseph does it talk about his great attitude while he was in the pit? I- I'd like to see those verses. Maybe it's the chapter between the chapter. The pit between the pit. You know you know what I'm saying? Uh, may- maybe, I know, maybe he found this information in the Mariachi Trench. Ha <laughs> ha! But that lasted a little too long. Now, where's the food? We ain't giving you any food. We're selling you to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Can you imagine? It wasn't that he was mad. His heart was broken. That was the test. What text are you reading from? Test. The test is not that you get mad. Watch this. The test is, what do you do when your heart is broken? That's the test. The Bible says we're all going to get mad in your anger, sin not. Don't give a foothold to the devil. But it's what do you do when your heart is broken? See, the devil's goal is not to hurt you. Listen to me. The devil's goal is to hurt you enough to where it breaks your heart. Why? Because once your heart is broken, only God can really fix it. Oh, man. Some of us are digging our own pits. And that's the pits. Why does that always happen to me? There's another hole. Everybody's always saying stuff about me. Nobody loves me. Why you treat me that way? Holes getting digger, bit deeper and deeper. All of a sudden, we just go, I'm just going to go down here because nobody cares about me. And we're in our own pit. And it's pitiful. Look at somebody say, get out of your pit. Tell them that. Say, get out of your pit. And then when somebody else throws you in your in the pit, don't make it make you feel pitiful. Here's the beatitude. I will always, everybody say always, learn from my lowest points. Wow. Wow, he's making up his own beatitudes. That's amazing. Guess what? If you learn from your lowest points, they'll become arrows that point you to your highest points. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Number three, when you're undervalued, add more value by serving more than anyone could afford. <laughs> Somebody shout out, oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm sure it's great if you just love false teaching. I will add more value than anyone could pay because I'm worth more than anyone could pay. My friend Sheldon is on the front row here, and um, Sheldon called me yesterday, and we have a little uh, lake house out in Quinlan, Texas, and uh, he goes out there and just helps me take care of stuff. And he's, there's a few, a team called The Few in our church, which I wish every team was The Few, because they're people who get it, and they get it on a very high level. And the the people who are leaders in the few actually, I've never asked them to do this, but they know that my, part of the reason Pastor Sheila and I made the sacrifice, and it was to get a lake house, was not just so we could go to the... (laughs) A sacrifice. We made the sacrifice to get a lake house. (laughs) Right.
lake. In fact, there are months and months at a time where we never even make it out there. That's where I write. That's where I study when I can. That's where after a Sunday, sometimes I'll go on Sunday night and I just get and I fast every Monday and I get on my face before. Sounds so spirit. I have. If it wasn't for having this lake house, I couldn't get on my face to pray. For God, I just try to disconnect. But what I was finding is when I would go out there, it was just a bunch of work, man. And so Sheldon decided to take his captains to, to, so that they would serve on a, on a very high level and get it in their heart to be servants. And that, that would just be a part of their training ground. And that they would go and they'd mow and take care of a lake house out there for me. I've never asked that at all. Sheldon, I was out there yesterday getting ready to come back to do a video shoot for another church. Mike Escobedo was there with a few of your few. And Mike Escobedo is a veterinarian. He's a doctor. In fact, if your wife or your children or your husband needs a little work, just call it. He even does a little plastic surgery. But anyway, Mike is there serving on a Saturday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. And here's the thought that came to me. Here's a veterinarian in our church, a servant leader, a king that's out here on a Saturday on his day off serving me. He spent about four hours with the team there, and I thought, like, how much do you pay a veterinarian to be a yard man? But you see, the truth is, it's not about being valued as a yard man. It's about being a servant. So in any situation, when you're undervalued, serve beyond your value that somebody else ascribes to you. Why? Because you're more valuable than they could ever pay you anyway. So why don't you just serve that way? Be that kind of person. It's incredible. That's what Joseph did. You know why? Because everywhere he went, look at number four, make everywhere you go better. That's the attitude because you went there. Why? Because wherever you go, come on, there you are. (laughs) Oh, man. So here's here's the story of Joseph. Watch this. He goes from being in a nice family, being a favored son, getting to, getting sold as a slave, goes into uh, chapter 39, being sold into Potiphar's house. He goes from the pit to the pot. And the Bible says in Genesis 39 that the Egyptian's house was blessed because Joseph was there. Joseph wasn't blessed because he was there, but the Egyptian's house was blessed because Joseph was there. Can you be the kind of person that can handle that the blessing is not about you, but wherever you go, everybody else gets blessed except you? That's the attitude. Most people miss it because if, it's not, if there's not something in it for them, then they're out. But what about having the spirit of Joseph, the 11th son, that says, you know what? The Egyptian's house was blessed because here he was a slave. And the Bible says that Potiphar put everything that was in his house, he put it under Joseph's hands to the point that he didn't even know what he had in his own house. Hey, by the way, he wasn't paid to do that. You think Joseph could have had an attitude? Listen, I appreciate all the responsibility and everything. But I don't like being a person with all the responsibility and no authority. I don't like having... I mean, how do you clean this up? I mean, we're so far off the biblical reservation. I mean, he's not even preaching the biblical text. I mean, how do you correct this? I mean, 
he, basically he's pulling one over on a whole bunch of people who are completely biblically illiterate using the William Tapley School of Hermeneutics method of uh, numerology in order to find symbological meanings in uh, in numbers that uh, have to do with something in the Mariachi Trench. And, I mean, we're so far off track. I mean, I, I just feel like grabbing some popcorn and sitting here and just watching the rest of the program because, good night, this is a train wreck. Having all the responsibility with no pay. What's up, Doc? Come on, pot defer. You're a rich man. I'm your slave. What benefit was it to Joseph to be over all of Potiphar's house and have all the weight and all the responsibility? Because God was working a greater work in him. What right now in your life is just driving you crazy? It's frustrating. It's a process that you're in right now that God says it's not about this job. It's not about that relationship. It's not about where you are. Listen, I've got a great future for you. And you've got to start thinking not what has been, not what is, but what is possible. So God, do a work in me so that I become. I answer the question to become or not to become. That is the question. God, I choose to become. I choose to become the man and the woman. I choose to become the family. I choose to become the kingdom people that you want me to be. Why? Because you have a great future for my life. So I choose whatever you're working in me. I'm going to keep my attitude right. That's the test. When everything is wrong, what's happening in you? That's the test. That's the test. Make everywhere you go better because you went there. Here's the beatitude. I will make every place I go better because I will not get bitter. I will get better. Hey, listen, can you have this kind of swagger? Let me talk to you for a minute. You see, there's one thing to be, it's one thing to be confident, it's another thing to be arrogant. If you're arrogant, that's a stem of pride, and that's, it's about you. But if you're confident, watch this, you just know the gift of God that's in you. And so here's how you walk into work on Monday. This place just got better. Because I'm here. You say, well, whoa, man. That's not right thinking. Oh, you don't tell everybody that. You just know that. And you make it better, and then people start saying, you know, it's better when you're here. It's better when you're here. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, Jesus Christ and the cross and repentance, forgiveness of sin, sound biblical doctrine... <laughs> uh, yeah, there's none of that here. It's all about me walking into a place and going, "Wow, since I'm here, everything's better." Oh boy! Guess what? It'll never get better anywhere you are until you know by you going there it gets better. Do you understand that? <laughs> what? So whether it was in a pit, a pot. Or a prison, everywhere Joseph went, he made it better. And everybody who was around said the same thing. The hand of God is on your life. You're successful. Man, make me successful. I'm not going to pay anything for it. That's why God is your rewarder. Not your boss. Not the people around you. 
God will reward you. That's why you need to keep a good attitude. It's not about your boss or where you work or anything else. It's about what God's doing in you. Does anybody get anything out of this? So he goes from Potiphar's house. Why did he go from Potiphar's house? Because guess what? Potiphar's wife said. The Bible says in Genesis 39, verse 6, the B portion, the second portion of the scripture, says, Joseph was handsome in his form and appearance. Next verse. And Potiphar's wife saw it. So she goes to Joseph day after day after day. Here's what the Bible says. And she says, hey, come lay with me. Let's get it on. Now, let me tell you how 99.99999% of men would think. Let me talk to the men for just a second. There's one Joseph factor, but let me tell you how 99.99999% of men would think in that situation. Here's how, here's how a man would be logic. Here's, here's his logic. I do not deserve what has happened to me. This is unfair. I am Potiphar's slave. He has put everything under my hand to rule. And his wife wants me. This must be God. And besides, as a slave, I must oblige my master's wife. Every man besides Joseph would think that way. What's in it for me? The master's wife. Every man in that situation would rationalize and think, not only is there a God, but this is the perk of being a slave. (laughs) And a good one. How many of you men with an uplifted hand would be honest enough to say, I would probably think like that. The rest of you are liars and you're going to hell. All right. Now, now let me just tell you, listen, here's the truth. Everywhere he went, God was with him. Everywhere he went, he was successful. Everywhere he went, the favor of God was with him. Everywhere he went, everybody recognized it. Why? One reason, his attitude. One reason, his attitude. Not how well he did his job. Not his competency, but his attitude that made him do his job well. When you're and can you give me some examples of where Joseph's great attitude is discussed in clear and uncertain terms in the biblical text? As that being the deciding factor, his attitude. Because I don't recall any of the great Joseph good attitude passages. I would need to see that. Attitude is right. You'll do your job better. A lot of people think just because they do a good job, they'll have a job. Nope. According to Carnegie Research, 97% of people that lose their jobs do not lose it because of competency. They lose it because of a bad attitude. 97%. So let me close with this. Potiphar's wife accuses him. She grabs his coat. Everybody's always trying to grab his favor. By the way, people will take your favor, the favor that's on your life, and they'll try to use their favor, your favor to accuse you. A lot I could say about that. But number five, use the spirit of accusation to make you have more of an excellent spirit because you will be falsely accused. All of these principles, by the way, boil down to some form of something you have to do. This is all law. It's not biblical law, but it's something you've got to do. 
If your dream is big enough, if God's hand is on you enough, you will, I promise you, be falsely accused. It goes with the territory. Here's the beatitude. I will have an excellent spirit no matter what. Would you just raise your right hand? Come on, everybody say that with me. Say, I will have an excellent spirit no matter what. So help me God. I have no idea what this has to do with Jesus Christ, sound doctrine, repentance, the forgiveness of sins, or even biblical discipleship. I mean, this is just a good attitude sermon. you got to have the beatitude, good attitude sermons, uh, 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 principles of young Joseph. Um along with all this weird numerology stuff pertaining to the number 11. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm not seeing this just using solid hermeneutics. Here's the last thing. Be the best you in the worst situations. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Cue sappy music. It, it sounds like the sappy music is starting to come on in the background here. By the way, you can always tell that when the Holy Spirit has entered the building because the sappy music begins playing in the background. The beatitude is I will be my best, especially when the worst has been displayed. Abraham Lincoln, one of my heroes, says, whatever you are, be a good one. Whatever you are, be a good one. I just want to remind you all that Abraham Lincoln is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. Whatever you are. Father, I pray that you would just speak your word. Okay, that is the end of that train wreck. Holy guacamole. Wow. Um, hard, here's the deal. It's hard to kind of fix what's wrong with this sermon. Because what's wrong with it is a completely horrible hermeneutic that misses Christ, misses the fact that this is about us, and sees secret and symbolical meanings uh, in the text that just aren't there. But, of course, Keith Craft, he's discovered these secret symbological meanings, especially the number 11. And uh, and uh, as a result of it, he's basically saying stuff that's uh, well, makes him sound like a crackpot to anybody with half a biblical brain. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? There's no... There is no qualitative difference between Keith Craft, Harold Camping, Angela Grinig, or any of these, uh, Origin, uh, any of these guys, because they don't apply a sound biblical hermeneutic. They see things that aren't in the text, and they're the only ones who see them because they've cracked the code as to what the symbol is, and the, and it's not, the Bible's not meant to be read this way. The correct way to read the Bible is the historical grammatical method. And that means that historical narrative is historical narrative. It's not allegory about your life that has symbolical meaning uh, pertain, you know, that, that can somehow be delved into in the way in which Keith Craft tried to do it today. Notice he was preaching from a historical narrative text and found stuff in there that ain't in there. And he's got his own Beatitudes, but Jesus is the one who taught the Beatitudes. And that's not found in the story of Joseph. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. Bad, bad, awful stuff. And ultimately, always and again, you get back to just some version of of a to-do list. Do these things and you will be blessed. And that's all law. Not gospel. 
we did hear the gospel nugget come in and come out rather quickly, but it was a dis- it, it wouldn't make any sense to anybody so that uh, you really didn't hear a clear proclamation of what Jesus taught, what sound biblical doctrine teaches, the story of Joseph, none of that stuff. And yet there was an open Bible, and he kind of sort of read passages, but found things in the biblical text that aren't in the biblical text, which makes you just wonder, go, what on earth just happened? You know what's going on here? Biblical illiteracy, a narcissistic reading of the text, combined with a really bad hermeneutic, and um, and not good training as to how to properly handle God's Word. As a result of it, what do we end up with? Complete and utter absurdity. Complete and utter absurdity. And, it, and an interpretation that cannot be shown to have existed anywhere in Christian history, except for in the person who came up with this interpretation, and that being Keith Kraft. Pray for the folks there at Elevate Life Church, because that isn't a church. That's, you know, this is the kind of preaching that is uh, sending people to hell. (sighs) Need to remind you, fighting for the faith. This is listener-supported radio, and we definitely depend upon you and your generous gifts in order to continue to bring this important outreach to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with us financially, uh, we truly do need your help. We need to get another 200 folks to uh, join our crew. It's only $6.95 every month. And uh, when you join, uh, this week I'm going to be sending out a link to uh, our ebook for the month, and that is uh, Dr. Paul Kretzmann's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Written in, 19, in the 1920s, Dr. Kretzmann is safely in his grave and uh, isn't influenced by this kind of weird, bizarre stuff and, and demonstrates a correct handling of God's Word. Dr. Paul Kretzmann died confessing the historic Christian faith not some bizarre word faith spiritual supernatural weird stuff like this as a result of it you can learn how to better proper properly handle god's word through the example and the commentary that he's written on the gospel of matthew so uh, visit our our website fightingforthefaith.com click on the join our crew button it's $6.95 every month and there's always perks and uh, keep in mind that we are in the month of june running our t-shirt bake sale that's right we're trying to uh, Meet the meet the shortfall in our budget by uh, holding a bake sale, and I'm going to be the one uh, making all those T-shirts, and I'm in the process of making all of those T-shirts uh, on my Udo. That's right. Each and every the design I was I designed the T-shirts. I did the silk screening. I will sign each and every one of the labels and send those uh, T-shirts out to you. So uh, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale for more details and to order your T-shirt today. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, click on the uh, Donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd uh, love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Owen, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith was brought to you by the number 11. <laughs>